Hey there, it's Dylan from Eat Wild, and uh, I want to welcome you guys back to the Eat Wild podcast. It's been a couple months since we've put something together, and that's largely due to being distracted by hunting season and dealing with some technical challenges of putting together a podcast. On this episode, though, I'm pretty excited about it because uh, the original concept for what I was hoping to accomplish with the podcast was sort of bringing you stories uh, um, of mentors and, and folks who know a lot about hunting and have a lot of knowledge to share and uh, we're up here at our uh, whitetail hunting camp and I've got uh, all my mentors who basically taught me how to hunt and taught me a lot about life and we're all sitting around the wall tent and having a conversation around whitetail hunting so I want to invite you guys into the wall tent and uh, check out um, what we're up to here at whitetail camp and I want you to meet uh, Jeff Horsefield who's my hunting mentor and Pete uh, Young, who's uh, been taught me a ton about hunting along the way, and Larry will make an appearance here halfway through the podcast on his way back from his hunt. I've also got uh, my little brother Ben, who's uh, hanging out with us, and Shelly as well. Um, so we got a good mix of young and old, and um, hopefully you'll learn a few things around whitetail hunting and get a few gems out of it. And uh, yeah, and keeping in mind that this is a wall tent, not a recording studio, so you'll have to put up with a little bit of background noise of. Uh, putting logs on the fire and trucks coming and going but uh hopefully it's worthwhile so enjoy you guys All right, so hey, welcome to the Eat Well Podcast. And we haven't done one of these for a while, but uh, this we're having a good day today. Uh, ben just came home with his first whitetail. Ben, my, li- my little brother Ben, who's out on his first whitetail hunt. He's joining our um, traditional whitetail camp, which is something that's been going on for much longer than I've been around. Um, I got welcomed to this camp from my father, Bud, who was pals with Jeff and Pete and Rod Weave and a whole bunch of other great characters. Uh, of which Pete and Jeff are sitting around the the wall tent around the around the uh, wood heater, and um, Shelly is with us, and of course Ben is here as well. So I thought it'd be fun just to have a conversation about um, our first whitetails and how we kind of got here and uh, go from there. And I'll see if uh, conversation can carry on. As so, long as this can all be edited. It can all be edited, <laughs> Uncle Pete. <laughs> So, so anyways, Ben, you just came home with your first whitetail, which was pretty exciting. I I, came, I was on a different hunt today, hanging out with Shelly, and uh, I came home and there was two new deer on the meat pole, and uh, a bunch of everybody else was back, and I was hoping that one of those was yours, but it was, uh, well, tell us what happened. Um, me and Dylan scoped out a spot yesterday afternoon, and... Found some good ground and saw a lot of sign of animals, and um, found it scoped out a good spot for me to sit today in a stand, and uh, carefully walked up there this morning and sitting in the stand for about 10-15 minutes. And uh, I thought you said two minutes before. <laughs> I try to make it sound better for the podcast. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I try. Try to make it more challenging. It's waxing um, and varnishing the truth. <laughs> So, what it is pretty truth. Out walks uh, my deer, my fork, 
and uh, I shoot it and it goes down, rolls down the hill, uh, about 30 meters, hits a tree, and uh, go up and get it and drag it down to the road. So this is it. Like pretty good. It all worked <laughs> out pretty well. So this is all about what the seven seven thirty in the morning or something. Yeah, about eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Yeah. So what'd you do for the next three hours until you got picked up by Jeff? Um, hung out with at Jeff's truck and uh, waited. Mm-hmm. But you cleaned your deer on on the hillside before you took yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I got it right away. And did you remember how to do that from your last two? Yeah, for the most part. It yeah. came back to me as I went. So, so Ben, what's different about, so you've done a bit of mule deer hunting with me. We've done a bunch of hanging out looking for mule deers, and th- this is your first week of whitetail hunting. I think it's also important that people know that you spent four hours in a blizzard yesterday sitting in a stand waiting for deer, and probably the same the day before. Yep. So, you put your time in. But hey, so what's different about uh, whitetail hunting than mule deer hunting? Um, you ought to be a lot more careful and be a lot quieter and uh really be on it really be on the ball for it um i like it a lot more i think i think uh i definitely prefer it over over mule deer hunting it's a a more fun hunt um you're kind of lucky because you you seem to like sitting which is not something that i like to do uh but if you if you like sitting it's 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 a great it's great to be a whitetail hunter because that's what you I think I think that's your more effective and I think is today what you what happened obviously you were s- sat down in your blind and you had every you when the deer presented itself you had lots of time to compose yourself make a good shot yeah well enough time enough time yeah which doesn't always happen when you're wandering around the woods trying to trying to sneak up on them because you have about a second before they try and disappear mm-hmm so Jeff, what did what were you doing? You were with Ben this morning. So what were you doing when you heard the, when you heard the shot? Well, I was going back to a spot that I've gone to for many years. So I mean, it was not much of a new adventure really for me. And everything worked out about as I anticipated. Saw a couple of does right away as soon as I got up on the rock bluffs. And uh, what was I doing when I heard Jen's shot? Oh, I, I was just up. I was fully organized hunting, and I heard his shot. And I figured that he'd be in his, sitting in his stand, and one shot was a good thing. Oh, as opposed to bang, yeah, yeah, bang, 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 bang. You know, bang. It's hopeless. Usually. You'd expect that from me, probably. Yeah, and then, and then you <laughs> thought you'd just leave the little bugger there to uh, gut it out himself. Oh, well, I, and yeah, deal I, with I, it. I, well, I didn't think there was any problem with that. No, I knew he had been around all this, and it wouldn't hurt anyway. And now he That's had to correct. still get my deer, right? So, <laughs> so I went and uh, just carried on my little hunt plan there, which worked out okay too. Because I actually, I've shot a few deer there in the past, but I haven't been there for years and years, actually. It might be 10 years since I ever took that little walk for some obscure reason. I don't know why, because it's very pleasant and it's pretty deery. Anyway, I saw a few does, went along, and I was skulking through a pretty good good spot, a bench. And I was doing the the old, you know, walk along the back of the bench, right against the steep, steep bank, you know, look out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there he was sleeping there, or laying there anyway. How far away was he? Mm, mile. 50, 60 yards, something a little ways. And I had my glasses off because it was all rainy and foggy and, you know, whatnot. So when I actually, when I actually saw him, I thought, that looks like it could be a deer. 
<laughs> so I got my binoculars. I, I looked through my binoculars, and they were kind of wet and fogged up too. And it's still the reading was still that could be a deer, and if it is a deer, it's a buck. Uh, you know, with some, you know, enough horns to keep me happy. So I looked through the scope, which was actually quite clear and everything, and sure enough, he was. So there he had it. There he is, hanging on the meatball. In his, in his bed? bed? Yeah, sure. Sleeping. Bed. His head was up. He wasn't actually sleeping. But that's so that's just the second whitetail in my life I've ever seen in his bed, I think. Second no, you've either. seen lots of whitetails <coughs> in his bed. I might see in the odd doe, but I, it's, a, uh, you know, it's the second buck I've shot in his bed. Yeah, this is and this for for the podcast listeners. This is a this is a nice buck. It's a, it's, oh, a it's not my second buck or anything. You, you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's his first buck, and it's a puny little thing. No, no. This one is it's it's a, it's a mature buck and one that you know it's pretty hard to come by. Um, where we hunt whitetails, they, they they don't they just we just don't get big deer here. We get, oh, I guess I don't know. That's a five year old maybe. Oh, I I doubt it. Even a maybe a four. But he, no, no. I, I he's got a fair sized body. Yeah, and he's got I, five points on one side, but I'd he's only he's got three and a half. I don't know what three, four points I guess. Anyway, his horns are not. It's not great, a mature. Not as nice. I mean, the one you shot is not a much bigger deer. It's not a big, but it, its horns are much nicer, right? So what is that genetics? The one you some accident. Yours, yeah, 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 yours had an accident. Some accidents this year off. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He yeah. had one point. His brow tine, which was pretty big when it was broken off, because the base is still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he might have been doing to do that. But. No, but he's definitely. I mean, they're both. They, but those are both the matures. the matures that we Typical, would say. Typical like, mature, but not huge. No. Yeah, but I mean that's as big as we get. We, every once in a while, we get one that's bigger, but yeah. not that often. Yeah. No, so. but it's still only three and a half years old. Something Maybe like four. That. I suspect it's not an older deer. I mean, yeah, we but, can cut but it's full size. Yeah, we can count rings. We did. I I sent yeah. some teeth to. Um, our, my biologist buddy there have, have a whole bunch of those four pointers like the, just the one year down from these and they were three year olds yeah so the, I think these are four year olds because mm-hmm. unless because I've got a bunch of those four pointers that are I think a year younger than these ones but yeah well like, anyway, they're, anyway. they're, they're approaching mm. being you know mature deer but they're not you know huge trophies either or anything like that no, but anyway, not like Brave Prairie standards. But to skulk, al- to skulk along, and uh, well, I'm a still hunter, so you know, to do that and get a mature whitetail is, you know, it's hard to do. It's more challenging, animal. more challenging than any other deer species that I hunt regularly. Yeah, for sure. No, I and and it's, it's it's you know over the years that I. So when I first started hunting whitetails, with you guys, I was. Four, well, 12, I think 12. I first started to show up at Whitetail Camp. Mm-hmm. 41 now, so that's, that's almost, God, almost 30 yeah, years. You have my 30 year anniversary next year. You wouldn't <laughs> shoot your first Whitetail over my shoulder. I couldn't see his head, Pete. I wasn't tall enough. You were like, look, it's right there. Shoot it. It's right there for Christ's sake. Look at it. Shoot it. I'll, I'll shoot the goddamn thing if you don't shoot it. I can't. See. I could just see the antlers. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't shoot anything. But Quite amazing. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, but anyways, uh, but you know the first bunch of deer I shot were like spikers, spikers and two points, and mm-hmm. and the over time as I learned the spots and learned how to stalk and learned how to still hunt, you know I think like I'm getting more and more opportunities at mature deer. Yeah, and, me too. I, and it's not that I'm 
completely biased and packing up and passing up a whole bunch of spikes and little deer either. It's just that, you know, I'm much more likely over the years to find a bigger deer, to see a bigger deer. Yeah, that's Be interesting. For, for a couple of reasons is that I'm probably better at it, but I may be hunting the right terrain and stuff where those bigger deer are more likely to be, particularly around the rut when we when we typically get them. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm in a spot where I'm going to see those bigger guys, and the little guys aren't there because the bigger guys won't tolerate them. Okay, that made make sense because I because I was sort of thinking that to myself today because I I saw a real big buck yesterday. I didn't tell everybody about it because it was big enough that I got I got to go back there and see if I can find him. I got to take Shelly there and set her up on this big one. Um, but uh, I've been finding that if if I just do what I keep doing and, and kind of hunting the, these little the, little pockets I like to hunt, I pretty much will see one of those big ones almost. Every day, every once in a while. Well, yeah. Oh, you see him every day. Eh? Well, during the during the three days that we're talking about, sort of <laughs> yeah. the, the, the 12, 13, 14, like like you know, and it just for over the past few years, it's been it, it, and yeah. and up until the past you know maybe five years, I never saw deer like that. Like I never I never really saw. I'd see the odd mature buck and I'd screw it up or whatever. I'd get the odd one, but it wasn't a, consistently though. The last, you know, I've been thinking back on the last quite a few years now. I think okay, I've seen these you know. Yeah, every once in a while, like not every day, but you know, certainly when you're on a good hunt and the conditions are right, and you're in one of those good spots, yeah, you, know, you, you at least you'll see one like that, right? So I think one of the things is there is that we have, uh, in more recent years, specifically focused our peak efforts on the few days when it's most valuable, and those are the most likely days that you are to see a big buck instead of a little buck. So those days, so so we've sort of narrowed it down to kind of the, well, today's the 13th, and I was not surprised when I came back to camp and there was two more deer yeah, on the pole. Deer, yeah. And I think everybody saw bucks today. Dave saw a buck. I saw a buck. Um, well, you guys both shot bucks, and, and I haven't heard from Dan and Andre yet. They didn't see anything. They didn't see any bucks. Oh, yeah, but they, they, went, didn't to, see but they, went, they went where there's no deer living. But they <laughs> went to a place they saw deer yesterday. <laughs> no, there was deer there yesterday. Oh, okay. that yesterday. Yeah, so... so but it's move on a hard place move, to hunt, so too. They just don't stand around in the same spot all the time. But Dan should have gone to his... I was trying to get Dan to go to the spot he shot a deer last year, because that's a deary spot. But, and it's good. And I, so I save up. He was at a deery spot. But a spot that he knows how to hunt. Well, you too. save up a few spots so that you've got special spots to go to. Yeah. On those on, on, the, on the 13th days. and 14th, I better be on a couple spots that I know exactly which wherever like I almost know every step that I'm gonna take right, exactly. at, at the hunt that we did today. Like mm -hmm. I, I hunted a little bit differently every time, but I know the main spots where there, there's gonna be deer hanging. And, and you're I, gonna have it you're gonna have to drop on them when you get there. That's Know yeah. where you're going to be covered. And Whereas I like yeah. to go to new spots and prove and prove that I can still find them in a new spot. Well, that's the next. <laughs> that's not doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> that's the next level, Pete. Yeah. But like tomorrow, I you know I might go back to that spot again with you know and have a look there. But anyways, I'm 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 tagged out, so I'm just I'm just it's an looking around. Thing trying to. Just think a deer. Just try to figure it so out. So I'll have to take, I'll have to take beat, beat somewhere tomorrow and see if he gets a deer. Either. Yeah, no, just I'm, go show him where one is, right? No. I, <laughs> wait, wait, there you go, Pete. There's one right there for you. <laughs> yeah. 
if you turn around really slowly. Yeah, all right. Yeah. He's right behind your left shoulder for Christ's sake, yeah. 20 yards away. <laughs> so, Shelly, tell us about your experience whitetailing so far. This is year two you've been coming to whitetail camp. Yeah, but I've been hunting whitetail for probably four or five years, at least once a year. But in the past few years, I, I've come more in October. So I've come here for the doe season a couple of times. Um, and just really, like, this, I've only been hunting for five or six years. So I've been just really learning the last few years. So I don't know why I would start on whitetail. That's not really a good strategy. Perfect. <laughs> wanting to be successful. You learn how to hunt the tough ones first. Yeah, it's really been hard, um, but awesome when you get to see them. And, and I have to say that this year of all my hunting, I've seen um, more bucks than I've ever seen before which has been uh, really rewarding yeah. for me. It means I'm doing something right, I think. Um, so we may have to just take a little break here while Larry joins <laughs> us. So we can hear Larry coming in. All his thundering diesel yeah. interrupts the whole... Yeah. He'd probably just leave it running for a while just to... No. No, he shut it off, huh? Oh, there he comes. Anyways, we'll just we'll just wait for Larry to come in. We have to take a little editing break here. So, so Chevy, you've, you've hunted whitetails for four or five years or something like that. Yeah. But, like, we take 10 days. That's right. Like, I yeah. dedicate 10 days, and, and, yeah. and it, sometimes it's been 14 or 15 oh, days yeah. every year to doing this. So, like, you're actually, your your learning the, curve and opportunity and stuff, because you only have a few days of yeah, time and that's, ever, right? You're right, and that's feedback that I heard earlier this year from other oh, hunters when we were here. Um, is that Shut that out, please. <laughs> you can't just you can't just pop in for a couple days. Oh, you're trying to sleep. Well, no. I mean it's that well, much harder because you got to your start Thank start you. and stops. You know, eat up most of your hunting time, right? Yeah. So I found uh, hunting it, everything. Like you got guys that you know go. Oh, we'll go over to the weekend and go hunt, or we'll go for a couple days, and you know it just doesn't work out. If you if you really want to get something, I don't care if it's a moose or a whitetail or an elk or a mule. You're gonna work your ass off. And take half 10 days yeah. well, so that, that you can learn yeah. what's going on. That brings it back to what Dylan said. You know, Dylan has been doing this long enough that he's got some hunts planned and some sure shots. So he, he's he got a couple days to do that. And he's got days on either end of those. This is do. Dylan sitting over here. Don't say anything. Hey, hey so Larry, welcome, welcome. We're doing a Neat Wild podcast here. So you can sit down, grab a drink, and we've got, we're recording our conversation for... Uh, for, well, yeah, for my for my podcast, my oh. sort of semi feeling podcast. So, so grab a beer and get on in here. Yeah, come and join us. Okay, Let's get my boots off. So actually, I yeah. think that length of trip, like because of what I've done all my life, that uh, I've had this opportunity every year to take you know like ten days or maybe some years several trips of ten days, and you get a chance to learn. Like guys that are stuck with you know going for the you know, November 11th weekend or something, you know, to go whitetail hunting. Well, I mean, they got a real challenge because I've been practicing for a week before that and I may hang around for another week after that. Well, the uh, the thing that really... Here, Ben, get that settled in there so we can... Yeah. There's the microphone there. So. That's better. It's good. we got Larry and Jeff the farthest away from the microphone, which yeah. is... Perfect. Which is perfect. Um, no, what I was saying, though, but like, you know, when you come for 10 days, then you've got... A whole bunch of days to explore and develop new places, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, that's true. And I was sort of I wasn't giving Ryan shit about it, but I but he's like, well, where should I go tomorrow? He, so <laughs> Ryan shows up for you know because he's got a family and he's yep. he lives nearby, so he's an hour away, so he just bolts over to come hang out with us, and he goes and hunts the one spot that I took him to the first time he came here, and he learned, 
uh, which is happens to be a pretty damn good spot. Which yeah. is a pretty and good he's spot. He's a good hunter too. Yeah, it's a good spot. He's a good hunter, and it's also a spot that you know Jeff showed me when I was you know fourteen or something like that. And took me up there, and so I showed him this one spot. So he goes and figures it out, and he's done real well there over the years. He's killed quite a few deer on that hill, but he hasn't given himself enough time to go and search out other areas and learn another spot so that somebody else can hunt that spot. So he shows up here for the three best days. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, hammers right. the best. And that's spot. the best spot too. <laughs> yeah, and, and and so he said to me, "Well, a good spot." Yeah, and he, and he said to me yesterday, he says, "Well, uh, so I've, I've been hitting that one spot for a couple of days. You know, where where else should I go? You got another spot for me? I'm like, well, no, no. You come here for ten days and go drive around and find, you know, find develop another spot, and and then leave that one for somebody else on, you know. So so this is another thing about the the, uh, you know, me and my friends that that came here is that we all worked in things where we could take 10 days and a bunch of us came here and we came here year after year and we claimed, climbed every hill in this valley for like 50 kilometers, both sides, both sides of the river, you know, up all the roads. And we literally climbed every damn hill. We organized in an organized fashion. We went out and said, you're going up that one. I'm going up this one. You go up that one. You we go up that one. We used to study the maps. So you guys didn't know Google Earth then, eh? He does this program. We just does it all for you. <laughs> yeah, well, Google Earth doesn't walk no, up there for you. No, we didn't have Google Earth then. We had a map. No, we, we literally climbed in an organi- semi-organized fashion. Semi-organized. And came back every night and, and reported in, you know, what you'd found, eh? Well, to a degree, anyway. Unless you found something really good. <laughs> well, the the main thing is to get off the roads. You got to get into the wilderness. You got to get away from other hunters. You got to get which away, isn't very got, difficult because the average other hunter doesn't go anywhere. Well, they don't go in. Most of them ride around on their machines, and uh, and then they complain about not enough deer. But if you do go and exert yourself and go in and climb. A ridiculous hill. I mean, it does. They're not ridiculous, but you have to. Yeah, you, you got to work for it. it. You got to work for it. Then you get into an area where this is their bedding area, and so now you're stalking them in the middle of the day in the bedding area, and it's exciting. And yeah. you develop the skills that you need to hunt properly. And solo is the only way. You can't hunt in pairs when you take. Um, a newbie out, okay, you're you're going to try to teach them the skills as best you can. But nevertheless, you cut your success rate more than half, way more than half, because you've got two people, and now even though you're the mentor instructing, you still don't fine-tune the technique the way that you know you must do it when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. Because there's another person involved, and you're mainly interested in going through the the, the instruction level, and you, you you don't get even though you're engaged with that other person, you're still not immersed in it as an individual is immersed. I find that anyway. Yeah, I I really agree with you there. When I'm still hunting, and I'm a still hunter, not a sit under a tree guy. Every step I take, every one, is a decision that leads yep. ultimately, hopefully, to getting a buck. To but every one. Like, yeah. And if there's somebody else with you and you've got to be constantly thinking what the hell they're doing yep. and what they should be doing and what maybe you should oh. tell them to do, it, 
It's almost impossible. I just did a month of this, right? Trying yeah, to right. teach people it's how to... ruination. So, so I just want to just let the, the folks know in the podcast. So we've got Larry Larry Woodward just joined us. And Larry, how long have you been hunting this, this valley? We're not... Well, I, 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 my first trip here was 1963. Okay, Jeff, how long have you been hunting here? Uh, 1980. Okay, and Pete, how long have you been hunting here? 1980. And Shelly? Whatever six years ago is. Okay. <laughs> so okay, well, now we so know. We'll see about 2011. Uh, 2011. Yeah. So there's a lot of experience on this particular uh, area. Scary. Eh? It's a bit scary that we, yeah, that you guys have toiled away doing it, and you're still you're still doing it. It's, it's awesome. Well, it's still a challenge. Like, that's what I like about whitetail. Like whitetail are smarter. You still got to be on your game, or you're. Yeah. That's the it. And by being patient in that, as you get older, you can still do it. Although I th- could do it better when I was younger. Oh yeah. Because you were faster. Oh, you no, I climbed bigger mountains and I yeah, climbed yeah, you climbed your own. No, yeah. when I now I'm lazy and I just take some little stroll around. And Me too. I noticed there was home. no boot prints on the very top of the ridge I was on today. I was like, huh. and I saw where you did come up. I was like, oh, you kind of took the easy way up here. I didn't really commit to the whole hill. Well, that's absolutely true. Yeah, because yeah. the snow is a pretty deep and yeah. Yeah, I can okay. totally. Yeah, I, I know. Can, you I, know I know exactly yeah. where you are. Like, oh, you got to so here. So instead here. of going up over the mountain, I, I turned and went down. Yeah, I saw exactly. And I sat there and made that decision too. I said, shit, I, I can't do it. Yeah. The, the trick is, is for, for a serious hunter is to get over one's individual fear because we, we all have a fear within us that's survival based. And it takes confidence and skill and experience. But when you jump into it, you better jump into it and you better test yourself regularly and keep extending yourself because you've got to overcome that fear. And the only way you can overcome it is with the skills, developed skills. So you mean a fear, fear of getting lost? In the the fear of getting lost. And it's based on survival. It's, hmm. That's as simple as it is. You know what's funny? Because nowadays you just turn around Google Earth. Well, no, this is this interesting. So I, I think I that's just, you up. I was just yeah. talking about this with, I think it does screw you up. The whole, the, the access to information. I don't own one. The digital I information, I think, is a total screw up for people because yeah. they just, they don't develop the fundamental of navigation, which is just to actually, yeah. well, a compass, but yeah. just paying attention to the terrain around plane. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. just using the, the simplicity of a compass to go from, hello. Oh, wait up, Pete. Oh, I'm hey, awake. Pete. get up. Um, right. But I, but I am, I'm sort of cluing into this, like, when I teach people how to hunt, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, I kind of assume that they, they're coming with a perceived barrier of getting lost in the woods, and that's and that's a they they worry about and that. All, yeah, and and I do think this is why you know so few people. I mean, so many people drive around and don't actually get out. I, I think I think they're that scared this is, shitless of getting lost. Well, they are scared of getting lost. Well, I can I can speak to that because five or six years ago that I was that was me hundred percent. I was so focused on oh yeah. where is the truck? I don't know. Where, like I don't. I'm so focused on not feeling lost, like I'm so terrified to be lost, it's really hard to concentrate on hunting. And then the flip side of that is that once you start, once you kind of start seeing a ridge you want to climb or whatever, and you start thinking about deer, and then you're off in some direction, and you've got to know, you got to know how to get back to where you're going, right? Right. If you take a hundred steps right, you know, you got to take a hundred steps left to get back. Sure, but there's a moment when you're you're following the deer, and you're following your hunting instincts, and you're, and so... Never. It's always... Part and parcel. It's all learning curve for yeah. Pete, right? That's what yeah, I'm trying yeah. to it's say. A, it's, it's, a, like, it's a perceived it barrier, right? I mean, it's yeah. any, but if you, 
But I mean, the simplicity there, of the place know. that we hunt is that there's a there's a road that goes up and down mm -hmm. the, the yeah. north, south of this valley. Yeah. There's logging trucks fucking going by there every five minutes. Yeah. That no matter where you are, you can hear the logging truck and you should just walk towards the sound of the logging truck, and well, it'll take you down to the bottom of the valley. I mean, it's, it's, it might be a ten kilometer back walk to your vehicle, but even. But like, <laughs> but I mean that. Like you should always kind of know where you are because there's handrails. Like there's the, Actually, the highway. There's just the yesterday, just yesterday, went to a spot that I've been to like a hundred times at least, and uh, it was kind of unsuccessful where I went. Like it was, I never saw a deer. There was no tracks, no nothing. I was cold and wet, so I decided to go down by a slightly different route that uh, Dave and I had sort of scouted uh, a couple years ago. Uh, and it's, but it was like. Zero in fog, sort of a little bit rainy. I had no idea of the sun or anything like that. And I started down through these series of pretty steep, rocky bumps and that. And um, after a while, I thought, well, like, this doesn't seem to be working out. This where in God Almighty am I? No, I knew where I was. I just didn't know how exactly how to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. So I finally decided that my best bet, actually, was to just turn around, follow my footsteps up to where I knew, and just walk out the way, I, you know. Because under the conditions that were there, uh, exploring this new place wasn't going to work out anyway, because I really couldn't tell where the hell I was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do I do find this, I mean, anyway, so we, anyway, so I was just thinking about reflecting on this with, with Dan. I was trying to get Dan to... Uh, um, go to the spot that he was hunting last year where he got a chair and he was a little reluctant to do it because he was just didn't know where he was, last, where year. He was last year I was like well it's right here and I'm pointing at the map but I, you know so I, I gotta go take him there next year but or sorry, t tomorrow I gotta go there with him I think and but I'm gonna give him the, I'm gonna give him the, the eat wild uh, orienteering uh, workshop of like you know give starting a out goddamn the, compass well that's what you do you start out we start out at the Jesus. the truck you, 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 you get your waypoint at the truck from where you leave, oh. you know, and, you're, and then you take compass bearing where you're going, and you look at the handrails that are available to you. You kind of orientate which direction the ridge is going. You know, if it's a, if it's a north-south ridge, yeah. and you're hunting the east slope, <laughs> yeah. you know, then you, then you okay, the ridge goes north-south, I'm hunting east all day, and you, you kind of lay all these things into your into your little brain, brain, and then and then and then start out your hunt from there. Hmm. And um, anyways, but I, I, it's. I mean, that's so, so the three most experienced guys here are all pretty close to the same age and that, and we've been doing this for since long before. Are you, you kidding? You're a kid. Long before, <laughs> well, it's still, I started doing this long before you marked your spot where you left the truck by putting a dot in your GPS or anything. Yeah, right. And uh, the three of us I still know what it is. Uh, don't have a GPS between us and wouldn't hardly know. I've well, got a GPS. But you pack it around, you mark your spot. No, I don't, I don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't no. need it. I know. No. I know that I have a GPS I, I, too. I don't even bring it with me. You don't know how to use it, Jeff. No, I don't. Uh, well, I, I actually turn it know, on. I, I, I technically know how to navigate and everything. You know, <laughs> yeah, but he's a real yeah. navigator. But yeah, it's more trouble to use it than it's worth. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just but look at okay. a compass. It's, it's you a don't care to tool. use it. It's a it's a fundamental tool. Even if you don't know how to use it. You know, well, I, I'm talking about totally all of it. A compass of it's, is a fundamental uh, uh, tool. Yeah. The boundaries are extensive. I mean, you you can go in there and load, download all those apps that you've got in yours, Dylan. Yeah. But I don't have those. And I've got a basic GPS. It's a Garmin. 
and, I, and it's, it's actually a marine Garmin, but it works fine on the land as well. And it's 15 years old. Where is it? It's at home. <laughs> it needs new batteries. I can't say that at home. And, but, but it works. Like you could, I can walk in if I need it. Yeah. I can walk in to on my to hunt and drop a buck. And then I mark it. And then I come out. And I know exactly where it and is. And you give me the GPS and coordinates. I, I go up to get your deer and pack it out for yeah, you. And then it's yeah. great for me because I figure out yeah, your secret yeah. spot. There's but also, I used to take it on my horseback trips. Because when you go back in off the Alaska Highway for three or four days, and you're way back in somewhere, you you if if it's the first trip, you forget I know Hills? approximately where I am. But if I take the GPS and set it out in the open sky, within a few seconds, minutes, I know precisely where I am, mm -hmm. and I've got my paper map. I got my one to twenty thousand maps because that's the scale I really love, and then I can pinpoint the oh, for sure. The, right where I am on the map and prove for sure now I know certainly where I am. Well, in a place like we're hunting here where there's we're, we're, we're hunting in a, a valley that, and there's farmland all along the bottom of the valley Yeah. and there's private property that extends up the hillside yes. that we like to yes. hunt. And and so having a GPS to coordinate with yes. your topographic maps to know exactly yes. where you are relative to to private properties is essential and it really you know certainly adds to the comfort that I know that I'm hunting on crown well, land and public land. That's well, really helpful. Well, we should today. mention yeah, too. So, yeah, that, that We should mention, mention too that I go on to uh, the websites for the regional districts and then the regional districts have their maps and the property boundaries are shown on those maps. And you can put as much detail as you want. You can whatever detail you want. The maps right there and you can do it and then you can print off a page if you want to hunt the crown land that's, that's in the middle and surrounded by all of these private properties, but you don't want to trespass, then you know where all the boundaries are and your GPS works perfectly for that. So in the States, they have a, I think it's a, it's a program called Onyx. It's a, it's a mapping program that basically sorts this all out for you. You can have, download an app on your phone, you gotta pay for it, but it basically tells you where you are relative to private property. Oh, yeah. And there's a couple of apps now in BC that can help you with that, but we're not quite there. If I get my act together, I'm gonna See if I can add it to the Eat Wild app, where you can see oh, a yeah. base layer of BC, and then the, and then the private over ownership top. over top, and then you can actually see where you are yeah. relative to those areas on you know in the app as a, as a mapping mm -hmm. parameter. Mm -hmm. those, that's, that's for something so, people that care about that. Sort yeah, of well, I was yeah. gonna. I, my my comment was there might be times when you'd rather be lost. Yeah. No, I never want to be lost. <laughs> you hunt that little spot. Yeah, yeah. I was lost. <laughs> Yeah. I, I want to know where I, I am. I, I like I, I like to know that I'm not gonna. Have you know, I could apologize rather than ask permission. For I, I like the security. I have a couple different tools. I have a GPS. I also have my phone that has a few different mapping apps. I like the security of knowing that. You have a compass. I have a compass, Pete. But to be honest, it? It, you know what? I've Do tried to learn how it? to use it, and it doesn't come naturally to me. But learn I don't rely on my GPS or my phone because they die in cold weather, even That's if you exactly have extra right. batteries. So, so I always know Compasses where I don't am. Die. I always know where I am, but it's they're a great tool. There's lots of good electronic tools that you can use to help plan your hunt. But they die. And, and figure out where you are and where where to walk if you get stuck up on a ridge. Mm. You know how to find the safest way down if you haven't been up there before. So they die. Mm. Well, if you're, they gonna, die. if you're gonna learn to use the compass, um, you must have a pencil and paper, and you need to have a map. You need to have a topo map or something. 
and what you have to do is have some way of measuring distance. You don't, if you don't have a GPS, it's, it's, with me, it's just my watch. If, if I just measure distance with how much time I'm walking in a particular average general direction, and and you have to, you have to, watch your needle, watch your, watch where you are, what, how many degrees you walk into that next tree, and then pick another tree that's on that same course, and you just keep picking trees. And you count distance with the watch, and it works. And now you can go around and move this way, that way. But the more you change your direction, the more complicated it becomes. But you can still, if you've got a brain, you can still Generally. see your pattern because you've, you've made your notes as you go along. And that's the only way to start. You have to you have to write it on paper with a pencil, mm -hmm. and you've got to record the minutes well, this way that you way. You can, but you know, the things have changed though. I mean, they can, can, but nobody does. Nobody does anymore, and, and that's but, but that's it's not to say start. though. It's not to say that there's that's a, how you start. But you should learn that skill with the, with the compass, right? And you yes. know that that's the fundamental, that's the baseline. How to use a compass and a map. Yeah. But the reality is, is now with the technology that everybody has in their pocket, other than the three of you guys. Is a smartphone that's got a ton of capacity for sure. Be having these these GPS pro, or the, yeah GPS programs and mapping programs that are really going to help, uh, but it doesn't the 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 compass is still essential, yeah. and learning how to use the compass. I mean, I use my compass all the time. Just I don't even look at my phone. I just look at it because I'm going to go up the hill, the north, going to hunt east for a while, and then I'm going to head south and hit the road on the bottom, and then walk back to my truck west. Just uh, two squares. I'd say that. Uh, actually, a lot of this fear of getting lost in in modern society and where we live in the huge majority of BC, we're in a valley that runs north south here that has a paved road up it for God's sake, mm -hmm. and off to the side of it, the paved road runs up and down the valley northwest uh, north south. <coughs> uh, often are side roads that, you know, they in rough general rough general terms, go east west. Yeah. So. No matter, you know, you know which side you got off the highway on in the morning. So from a survival standpoint, like, we have nothing to fear. If you have a compass and you can actually go east for an hour, yeah, right. you're going to bump into the highway. But that's here. I mean, that's not most of... No, it's yeah, you know, it is almost all of BC. Like all of BC. Nothing but logger roads and stuff that's everywhere. Right. And most of, of the valleys... Covered by roads. Roughly speaking, the valleys all run north, south, east, yep. west, you know? Yep. And if you happen to be somewhere up north in the wilderness, and you find yourself in northern BC, and you fly in somewhere, there's going to be a river at the yep. bottom of the valley, or or a big horse trail. It's the same thing. I mean, yeah, everywhere in British Columbia is going to have these hand, well, handrail features. Yeah. Right. Anyways, but you can get but around. But the general, the general person doesn't know that. Like, yeah. a, a lot of people don't, don't oh, okay. know okay, but that's, that's, that's the absolute, absolute learn, right? basics. For sure. Part of orienteering. But that's, that's, orienteering, that's, orienteering. that's what you should learn before you go somewhere. Well, that, and that's, that's why, right. you know, that's why you guys can all come and take my yeah. how, to, how to Not Get Lost in the Wilderness workshop at Stanley yeah. Park. <laughs> well, I can take you just It's great. We do this workshop. just as well as Stanley Park. It's the same thing. I mean, you can get just as lost in Stanley Park as you can get anywhere in the world. So... Anyway, let's move on a little bit because we've been hacking on that a little bit. But there's uh, hmm. the, the the one thing that I was going to jump in there and, and we're take this conversation I, is is it you know Shelly, you're saying you started whitetail hunting and that's kind of the first thing you did and and, and Ben that you're just kind of breaking out of the whitetail hunting and and I just finished doing a month of what I was calling the eat wild supported hunts where I was 
taking people hunting as a, as a guided hunting effort. And, and so the, uh, the, so we were, we were targeting white-tailed does on our guided hunts. And which just seems a bit funny, but it, it was the only way I could actually build a relationship with a, uh, a guide outfitter that would, would, would sell me quota or, or allow me to hunt in his territory if I, if I was hunting white-tailed does because they don't, they don't sell uh, white-tailed hunts or certainly white-tailed doe hunts. So it, for them, it was no big deal. But for me, from a learning perspective, I was like, this is great. If you can, if you, if you can figure out how to sneak up on a white-tailed doe and shoot it, you're, you're, ha- you're halfway there to learning how to hunt. Like it is by far the hardest hunt in British Columbia is what we're doing here, um, in a, in a deer depleted area. Like there's not a lot of deer here th- than there has been in past years, and you guys could totally speak to that, I'm sure. But and then to be able to go out and sneak up on these deer or sit around long enough and wait for one to show up, like Ben did today, and actually get one, is it, it, is a real skill. And if you can master this skill. Then you can take it and you can go mule deer hunt and mule deer hunt. It seems like a breeze. If you can, if you can still hunt whitetails, you yeah. can wander around and shoot mule deer all day long because it ain't ain't hard compared to what we're doing here. Uh, and certainly, the Isn't skills. Rain? It's rain. It's, yeah. I wonder how about, he's gonna pick up on our microphone here, but oh, well. put so, it down a little. Yeah, well, it's, it's where it is. It'll have to be good enough for for our, the vast audience. Will just have to appreciate yeah, the limitations right. of recording we're in a wall tent. We're outside. <laughs> So, even elk hunting, like, all the things that, when you're closing in on elk, I fall back into the same skill set that I use for whitetail hunting when I'm trying to get an elk. So, I think it's a good skill set to learn, and if, if you guys are all here learning... And oh, absolutely it is. Yeah. Well, the worst thing is to buy a quad. <laughs> you can buy a quad. No, I love quad hunters. The quad... It keeps 90% the of them out a, of the bush. The quad is a tool... God. That can transport you to where you want to go, but you better get off and then go on your hunt. But you never do. But I've the, never the, seen the a quad, quad parked on the side of the road, though. Seen I trucks? saw one, and he walked 50 feet, and he came back to the quad and got plugged himself back in. Well, part of the problem with quad hunters I is love them. they don't have the confidence to go off on their own in the wilderness. Well, it they comes back to the, 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 the oh, orienteering thing that we talked about, or just yeah, the yeah. willingness to... Yeah. Anyways, let, let, so I, yeah. I'm just curious. So we, we should wrap this podcast up because I'm sure we've been chatting here for a while now. But I'm curious about everybody's first whitetail hunt. So Ben shared his first hunt, whitetail hunt story. Larry, can you tell us about your first whitetail buck story? I don't even remember the first one. <laughs> He's My too goodness. old. Please. I don't know. I came here to hunt deer. And the only deer that we knew about at that time in 63 and all the way through the 60s into the 70s were mule deer. Because we would drive up here because we left the lower mainland after work, okay? Because we were all working on Friday. And so after work, we left. So we get here in the wee hours of the morning, and we had to really watch driving up the gravel road (laughs) once you go. Because the deer were crossing the road, and you'd hit one. There, lots of them. We'd count 20, 30, 40 deer before we got to camp. And we were, the, the camp that we headed for, Lake area had selective logging going on. Keep and in mind, Larry, that there's and, thousands and, and, and thousands of people that'll listen to this podcast. And there were, it's okay. It's, 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 it's a popular spot now, and it's all logged, it's all slash. Yeah. And, uh, but wonderful. that was our destination at, at that time. And there was an old sawmill camp. We stayed in the shacks, 
because the salmonella camp had been abandoned. But the whitetails, I only heard about, and I heard about them from other hunters from the lower mainland who came here to hunt the whitetails. And I hadn't even seen one. And they told me that the whitetails are strictly in the valley bottom and they're in the thick brush. You have to go in there. And the only way to hunt them, this fellow told me, is with thick socks and moccasins because they're really alert to you. They're not like muleys, just like you said moments ago. And, and it was true. So I didn't really get into the whitetail hunt until the late 70s and early 80s. And in, in 81, I, I started finding whitetails. And I came up here at the end of the season, and the migration was on. And there were hundreds and hundreds of them that I missed. I hadn't been <laughs> hunting them at all. I hadn't been targeting them because I didn't know about them. But I came up right when the, the rut had, had finished, and it was the end of the season. And at that time, we were allowed two bucks. And I used to, I put my waders on and went across the river to get away from the other hunters who were driving roads over on this side. And I, and I built myself a tree stand and climbed a tree with my climbers because there were, there were no, none of these tree stands being built then. That you could so these are spurs use. on the inside of your spurs. boots. Yeah, to climb a tree I, like, a, like, I went a, to the, like an arborist. I, I went to the swap meet in Cloverdale and I bought spurs. They were for sale there and I bought the belt. The climbing belt and I taught myself how to climb and I got up the tree and I had a self homemade tree stand and I used to sit in there and it was really productive because I sat on a well-used migration game trail they were all flooding out down the valley because winter was setting in and this and the temperature was down and it took I didn't have to wait very long before the deer came along and a nice nice buck would come along and I'd, I'd take them and, and that's the way it was. And I'd go home with two deer on a weekend. I'd come up here Friday night, and I'd have to leave Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, and I'd have two bucks. And you just to get back and teach school at 9 a.m. Yeah, Monday. Yeah. Couldn't. I only had weekends. I couldn't. I couldn't do yeah. what Jeffrey yeah. talked about. Come up and get immersed in it for 10 days. Yeah. That was out of the question. The longest I had was remember Day weekend, if it was a weekend. But we didn't all remember it. Stayed in all yeah, it fell a, on it a Wednesday. No holiday and stuff. And Wednesday, I couldn't do it. Yeah. How about you, so, Jeff? What's your first uh, first buck? First uh, whitetail buck? So, Larry's the, the same deal. He grew up on Vancouver Island too. But I grew up on Vancouver Island hunting blacktails, and hunting in the timber. So my skills transferred here pretty well. But yeah, the first right. time we came and hunted here, uh, we had gone to the Kootenays, uh, basically mule deer hunting. And we just happened to stop by in this area on the way home. And we camped one night right near where we are here. And uh, the next morning, we just took off each one guy in every direction. And we had no idea where we were or what was going on. And damn, if there's whitetails. There's these things running off the top of the hills in front of us, flagging their tails. Yeah. And we're kind of amazed. Like, we knew whitetails white existed, but we didn't know we were hunting <laughs> whitetails. We were actually hunting mule deer. Yes. But there was no mule deer. There was some whitetails all over the damn place. Well, we never got one that time, but we thought, geez, there's deer everywhere here. So the next year or two, we came back here, and uh, the still hunting skills that we had from the island made us, you know, sort of moderately successful. But it was much tougher. Whitetails are way tougher to do. 
Anyway, the first one that I ever got was uh, just right behind camp where we are now. And I climbed over the very top of the mountain. Yeah. Uh, mule deer hunting. And on my way down the other side, I got down, way down in the timber. And uh, a spike white tail buck ran out in front of me. And I shot him. And I got up to him and damned if it wasn't a white tail. This is a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, that was that was my first white tail, and actually, then I'm dragging my white tail down the hill, and uh, I can hear. I, I didn't really know, you know, I knew I was quite a ways from camp, and it was getting later in the afternoon. I had to get up the hell out of there. Uh, when I heard a vehicle go by below me, so I left my deer and I ran down the hill to this guy, eh? and he was an old guy from not very far down the road here, and. Uh, so I said, will you give me a ride back to camp? And he said, oh, well, yeah, sure. I'm going to be going that way. And so he actually came and stayed in camp with us, in fact. Anyway, so he told me that, yeah, you're hunting whitetails. And this is a great spot. This is, you know, the spot to hunt whitetails right around here. So he clued us in quite a bit to this whitetail hunting. And uh, he actually stayed with us that night in camp and then buggered off home. And I never seen him again or don't know his name or anything like that. But anyway, that was my first whitetail. Nice. I remember my first whitetail. It suddenly popped out in my memory. I knew it would. I was with my hunting partner, and it was we were we were coming here for whitetail because I was I had two hunting partners on that trip, and uh, I had one in my truck. The other one came in his own truck, and uh, all three of us were teachers, and we only had the weekend, and um, we knew very little, almost nothing about whitetail hunting. But when we were on one of the back logging roads, there was an elderly gentleman in his lawn chair sitting beside the road <laughs> behind a pile of brush that he just built up there. And, of course, he'd, he'd hoped that nobody like us would come along and spoil his hunt. But he was an elderly fellow who couldn't hike the bushes anymore, and he'd been hunting whitetail for years and years. We stopped and chatted very quietly with him, very briefly because he didn't want us there. We knew that. <laughs> and he explained how he hunts. He hunts from a lawn chair behind a ground blind, <laughs> and he has to see in great direction, both ways. And that's how he gets his buck every year. So the two of us decided we'd better pick up on his technique. So we drove away down the road, and then I, I dropped my partner Brian out, and then I drove further on down, and we got we had lawn chairs in the back of the truck, <laughs> so you're ready for camp, and we're ready. So we we got them out, and we managed to find some places to sit where it was inconspicuous, and by golly, only sat for about 15 minutes, and a white-tailed buck came down off the side of the road, and and I'm off on the side of the road. He had no idea I was there, because my scent was going the right way. He was he he was just a small buck. But he was beautiful. I looked at him. He had no idea I was there, and he was migrating out. He was coming down and crossing. He's going down the river, and we're—I'm only 100 to 200 yards from the river. And uh, so there he was. I took him, and as soon as that was my first whitetail, and I walked up to him, and I could not believe the difference between the white-tailed deer and the black-tail and the muleys. The hygiene of the whitetail is immaculate. 
They groom themselves mm -hmm. yep. perfectly. Every hair is in all everything all the time. And when I've spent all my years sitting in my tree stand, I've seen them grooming, yeah, and they're constantly it. grooming, grooming, grooming. Whereas the muleys and the blacktails are pigs. <laughs> <laughs> filthy buggers, filthy buggers. <laughs> yeah. Keith Shelley, how about your first buck? Okay, well, it's not a, it's not as an elaborate uh, story as these guys, but it's kind of funny. So, um. Gosh, it was probably my third or fourth year uh, hunting. I was getting quite antsy. I was also 39. I was turning 40 in probably two weeks later. And I was like, I got to get a deer on this trip. Like, come on, or else I got to find a different hobby. So, I, <laughs> you know, so I've been hunting, like, you know, getting up at 4 and 5 in the morning and going out and doing the drill all day long. And it been, like, day eight. All my friends had gone home. And I was left with my friend's dad. I was staying at my friend's parents' house. <laughs> And so poor Tony, he was like, okay, I guess I'll take you out. And I was like, okay, great. One more day. So we've been hunting all day and a bit of, he's a bit of a truck hunter. So a bit of a mixture of driving around and then getting out and walking. And we were going in this area that's between mule deer and, and uh, whitetail territory. So we're in and out and uh, it was probably about, I don't know, three or four o'clock in the afternoon by then. I'd kind of given up on it. I was like, okay, we're done. I didn't get a deer. Uh, my hunting career for this year is over. And, and so we're, we're in the truck and we're, we're heading back to, to home base and all of a sudden he stops the truck and he hits me and he's like, he's like, it's a bug, it's a bug. And he's this old Spanish guy, right? So he's got this accent. He's like, it's a bug. And he's hitting me and I'm like, what? Where's my cartridge? Like, where's my gun? And I jump out of the truck and I'm like looking for this buck. And of course I drop my, my bullets on the ground and, and I pick him up and the deer is still fucking sitting there. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe he's still standing there. So, uh... I take the shot, um, just kind of free form, no rest or anything, and you know, think everything is not going to work out. And uh, and it looks like I shot the deer. So we go over uh, to where I shot the deer, and uh, we're looking around, and he's like, it's not here. I, I saw its leg go down. Like I think you just broke its leg, and we're never going to find it. Uh, and I was like, broken hearted, right? I was like, oh my god, this is my first deer. I wounded it. I'm not yeah, going to find it. This is terrible. Like, I need a new hobby. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, but I'm like, no, I, I know I hit it, Tony. We're going to look for this deer. And he looks down on the ground and you guys can do this. I can't do this yet. But um, he finds the tiniest piece of blood, you know, a tiny piece of skin and a tiny piece of blood. And he's like, okay, well, you hit it. And, uh, and I'm like, we're, we're looking for this deer. Like, we're going to find it. So anyways, we walk, uh, and I'm feeling, I feel terrible. I'm sick to my stomach. Um, I'm so worried about injuring this deer. And, uh, and he's like, we're not going to find it. You've, you lost the deer, you know. And he oh. goes off in one, I know, hardcore. He goes off in yeah. one direction, and I go off in another. And I walk maybe 25, 30 feet. And there's my sweet little deer all curled up dead at the base of a tree. Um, so I absolutely hit him, and it was a really well-placed shot. Yeah, um, that's right. He just he just ran with that's adrenaline. That's typical. Yeah, they always yeah. run. Yeah, he ran and he uh, and he Pulled died it up. really really Mine nicely. Don't. And he was a beautiful he was a beautiful little deer. And uh, and I have to say, like about the the whitetail, I agree. They're very sophisticated, very dainty looking, very beautiful deer. And, oh, and I kind of and that I was hooked on, on whitetail hunting after that. So that's the story. So you're gonna still hunt. You're gonna still hunt up a deer tomorrow, Shelly. Yeah. Be my yeah, big, November fourteenth. In the valley, you're gonna <laughs> get one. The, the day. Yep, we'll get one for you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. well, I'm gonna put Dan up a tree. 
Oh dear, <laughs> I was gonna take Dan somewhere else. Okay, maybe I'll take Shelly up a tree though. Put Shelly up the tree. She loves that. Hey Pete, hey Pete, what's what? Can you can you tell us your first buck story? First whitetail buck story? I can. You gotta get us hit up here though, so the microphone can hear you. Well, it was a lovely day up here, snowing gently, about minus 8 or 10 degrees Celsius, that is. The trees were actually exploding. <laughs> Seriously. The sap was uh, exploding in the trees. The river was frozen. Was this frozen. cold camp 86? No, it was the year before, actually. It was 85. Huh. And... I went across the river to a place that's overly used nowadays, <laughs> up into a little swamp up into there, and heard this strangest noise of that sounded like a bunch of pigs, and I wondered what the hell this was, so I snuck up very quietly on them, and there was a few doe deer standing in front of me, and this one little three-point buck that was just going crazy, making these stupid grunting noises. And obviously very distressed that I was there, and walked into him on his dance with the ladies, and I blew his brains out. Oh, the end. There you go. And I've been doing it ever since, and oh, you are, eh? quite successful at it. So, so Pete, Pete and Larry, or, oh Pete, sorry, Pete and Jeff have been pretty good at this waytail hunting, you know. And and actually, what's interesting is is Larry, you've been doing this a long time too, longer than these guys. But you guys didn't come together and all start hanging out together. We've all been hunting the same valley for well, you've been hunting here since the '60s, and these guys since the '80s. And you guys have become friends in the last third decade or so um, since we met you in Churn Creek. And that's actually probably longer than a decade ago now. But it uh, it's kind of neat that we got that there's a we've sort of amalgamated all this experience. It's of quite the camaraderie. Valley. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. And, well, and it's, it's it's an easy fit because um, we all have similar values when it comes to the hunt and how to hunt. And uh, when you when when you share the camp, everything is pretty similar. Like. I had a outfitter's tent with a wood stove in it. I got a, I have a tent, 14 by 16, the same size as this. I didn't raise the walls up, but if you don't have comfort on your hunt, yeah, you can't, the, stick, you it can't stick it out. You have that, to go. That is a really good point, though, because and that's what makes it this such a pleasant hunt, and, and that's why we have so many hangers on because it's so goddamn comfortable. We're, we're sitting in a couple, right couple now, tents, it's about 82 two, degrees. It's 82 degrees. We're, Fair enough. I'm sweating here. Well, um, I think. I think it's important to mention that it's lights out at 8 o'clock when you go to bed. <laughs> yeah, and at 4 o'clock, the alarm goes off. Yeah. And we're getting a full eight hours sleep, which oh, we need to it. because yeah. we're seniors. And we're, <laughs> well, we're, we're also three, we're not, oh, yeah, come on, three, three of us. Yeah, we're all exhausted. <laughs> yeah. And we're not, we're, we're, well, I, I'm 20 and I need an eight hour sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you work this hard hiking, you've got to have your rest and you've, yeah. got, to, you've got to rebuild and repair. So there's an interesting dynamic going on here that, that maybe this is for another podcast, but like you guys have been doing this for, you know, when I first came in, I was the only kid, I was the only young person that came in this community. 
and there was 10, 12. We were all young then. Well, yeah, but you guys were you guys were in your forties. I was for twelve or whatever, 12, yeah. and and I was the only kid that came into this camp, right? And and I and I really benefited from the fact that I got to hunt with Pete and Jeff and and Rod and and Gary and all these guys who were deadly fucking hunters. Like, and and I learned a ton, and I learned all their spots, and I've got this encyclopedia of like spots, yeah, spots and <laughs> skills that like I now have translated into being a successful whitetail hunter. Really, yeah. But what's interesting, what's happening now is that like all in the I, right I, spots. I, well, you know, but I've got this community of friends well, who true. have all come to hunting yeah. now in the last five years or so yeah. that have, have gravitated to this camp. Now, meanwhile, we're down to three elders. Now it's in this to camp. pass it on. Yeah. And, and and there's and you know there was ten or twelve guys here that have all gone they've given up hunting white tails it's too hard or they've just too or they've well, died. Yeah. Just moved too on. Much. Moved on to other hunts and, and here we are. But it's still an interesting dynamic of like, you know yeah. you know, you wanna share your knowledge with so so we're still here with ten or twelve people, but now seven of them are, are new recruits and there's Ben, my brother and Shelly, my business partner, and, and Dan, my fishing partner, and Andre, my fishing partner, and like Dave, my fishing partner, like all kinds of buddies, and, and Ryan, my work colleague and buddy. But, and then there's, there's like, I had to turn away five people this year. I was like, you can't come. My cousin, like, you can't come. It's too many people. And, and part of that is just because there's only so many spots, and there's no, only she so much. Come. Well, you guys like, yeah, Jess is great. I like Jess. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She would she was going to come, but. Yeah. Anyways, but the point being is that there's no. only so much... No, I know. Space. So many space and spots, and there's only so much <laughs> expectation that you guys... To put on to you guys to, like, share your knowledge, right? And and you guys have been gracious about that. You know. Well, the, 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 and being an old... Hunting is a culture that goes way, way back. And it, it, it's yeah. so far back, the hunting camp, that it's primitive. It's the beginning of time, for And God's we've got sake. all the modern technology... But the fundamentals of the hunt is nevertheless the same. And the fundamentals of sitting around and bullshitting about yeah, it. Yeah, sure absolutely. So you, <laughs> you, you, you can go back and examine hunting that's three, four, five, six hundred years old, and you'll, you'll, you'll find that the dog was far more important then. But now we have restrictions on the hunt. The dog is not allowed. The dog has to be on a leash. No, and you tell Claire that. Just, and... And so the dog's relative importance has, has been discarded, diminished, but we don't need the dog because the dog uh, placed a huge advantage to the hunt itself when the resource was plentiful. But now the resource is no far less plentiful and the dog has been ruled out. And there's severe limits been put on, yeah. on our restrictions on the hunt. I, I can only shoot one buck now. Whereas when I started here, I could shoot two. Well, we can barely shoot two. One buck these years. <laughs> when I first started, so, I'll, so I'll, we'll wrap this podcast up and yeah, and, uh, yeah. and uh, with no lies. Yeah, with no lies. But back when I when I first showed up in Whitetail Camp, I was twelve. My my dad Bud would would bring me here, and it was all his buddies Jeff and, and Pete and Rod and the others, um, and I'd hang out here, and uh, I wasn't totally ready to kill a deer I, I think I wandered around the woods with a gun on my shoulder for a couple of years and then there was one year where there was a real banner year there was maybe like I think it was 12 of us 12 of you guys in camp and everybody shot two deer that year or darn near close to it so every day 
at the at, at noon, you you see the vehicles coming up the driveway to our camp, and it, and all the vehicles are back up to the meat pole, and then as soon as you hear the the, the 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 truck gear going into reverse, everybody who's sitting around the wall tent having a having a having a coffee or a beer would would migrate out to the meat pole to see who's backing up to the meat pole to see what they got, right? So everybody would migrate out. And you and they open the tailgate. There'd be a deer in the back, and there'd be the story about the deer. And everybody would, you know, high fives and you know, pats on the back. And and, I, and at some point, I was like, you know what? I was like, I want to experience that. I, and up till then, I was a little bit, I, I, I was reluctant about killing a deer. I kind of had a teddy bear collection that I was attached to, and I just wasn't really like, I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready to kill anything. You like to eat? But I want no. What I want, what I was, what I was kind of, I wanted the, I wanted to join the club. I wanted to join the club. I wanted the pat on the back. I wanted to be the guy backing up to the trailer or to, to the meat pole, right? And and that was kind of the motivation that set me out to, to to go actually kill a deer. So when I was fourteen, I I um on the last day of our hunt, um, my dad, <laughs> our, well our dad, I said to me, he says, you know, Dylan, you you go for hunt in behind camp. I'll pack up our our, our, our our wall tent and rig, and uh, you can you can spend the morning hunting. So I, he says, take a radio though and and, uh, and check in if something exciting happens. So, so I go wander off in behind camp here, and I wander off down to a spot that I that I saw a buck the year before that I was reluctant to shoot because I wasn't ready, and I went in the same area, and as I'm sneaking up on that area, there's a a mature three point buck. With his nose to the ground, walking in front of me at about forty yards, and it's kind of walking through brush and stuff like that. And every once in a while, I see a good look at him, and I, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go, and I kneel down and I put my crosshairs on him, and I'm waiting for him to walk into a clearing, and he walks through a clearing, and I fucking pull the trigger, and kaboom, and the deer fucking disappears, and I fucking, Jesus Christ, what happened? And I could hear some running or something like that, thrashing around, and then all of a sudden, I I see this deer running around. A, it runs right over top of me and runs over my head and runs away. So the deer took a big, came out the ridge and came up behind me and ran away. Hmm. Fuck. And then I put my head down, and I'm like, fuck, I missed it. And then the radio squawking. It's my dad back in camp. <laughs> what? I, did you shoot? Did you shoot? Did you shoot? I'm like, I shot, but I think I missed him because he just ran over me. So, anyway, so I go down and look at the spot, and I and I and I take a look at the spot, and and it, um, and I follow his tracks back around, and there's no sign of blood or nothing. And in retrospect, where I shot him, there was there was brush in front of this. <laughs> where I was shooting through, right, and and and, but at the time I didn't really know that brush would have an effect on the actual bullet because I didn't know these things at the time. Um, anyway, so I followed these tracks around for a ways and and wandered for a couple hundred yards and there was no blood and none of that. And by now, and now I'm feeling pretty fucking discouraged. And I'm walking back to camp and I'm kicking stones and I'm pissed off that I fucked up. And this fucking deer pops out of the fucking bush and runs up and over the ridge that I'm walking on. He just runs right in front of me and I just react and I just fucking put my gun up and I shoot. And I hit him in the spine and he fucking falls down right in front of me. He falls around a little bit and I shoot him again in the head and he's fucking dead there. And then my dad calls up and he goes, what the fuck? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? 
can tell him I got a deer down. I got a deer down. I got a deer down. And, uh, and he was here at camp. And this is this is maybe like three, four hundred yards behind camp. He was there in a second. I don't know how he found me because he, he can't. He, he has no no. He's no ability to navigate the woods. But he found me in a couple seconds. Yeah, it was just kind of a beautiful moment there. He rolled up. And there was a dead deer there, and I was sitting there. With, you know, yeah, with lots of tears, and then we got it together, and we rolled it, just dragged it back to camp down the fucking back down that road behind camp, and showed up and put him up on the meat pool, and sure enough, there's every. Rolling back into camp, going, what the hell's Dylan doing there? Oh shit, there's Dylan, the fucking deer. What do you know? <laughs> Anyways, that was the start of it all. The little spike buck. There you are. Anyways, and hey, on, sorry. On a side note, here's the toast for Bud. Hey, for Bud, we're yeah, getting this all here. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. yeah. He Cheers, was the guys. social coordinator for all this for many years. He was. Many years, and then the cook too. Made it all happen. Yep. All right, signing off. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time on Eat Well.